Right now in Australia, we are facing down a federal election. The choices that we're all going to make in the polls this coming weekend will determine the kind of government and the kind of country we're going to have for the next four years. And so that begs the question, if we want to engage in politics through the lens of faith, what does that look like? How can we really know which political candidate best represents and will uphold the values that we hold dear as people of faith? Is there really such thing as a good politician? And when the time comes, how do we know who to vote for and how to make it count? Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith. Welcome back to Science Radio. It's a good day to be talking about all things politics because I have with me Mr. Braden Blyde. Braden, welcome to Science Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. I'm excited because today we are recording this in the midst of an election season here in Australia. And Braden has written a fantastic article for us in the May issue of Science of the Times magazine called How to Vote in an Election Season. Now, as of the recording of this, we have the Labour and the Liberal Party, ScoMo versus Albo on the news cycle 24-7 for us here in Australia. But I am excited because this talk about politics is not just about right now, today. Brayden, you talked a little bit in your article about what's happening right now, but also at a, a broader level. So, I want to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about it. But for those of us at home who maybe don't know who you are, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe how did you get involved in uh, politics in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm a, a husband, a father of two young sons, which uh, always keeps life busy, uh, based down here in Adelaide, South Australia, the best kept secret, I think, uh, in Australian geography. It's a beautiful place down here. I used to call myself a former teacher. I was a high school teacher, then I left uh, teaching and started working in communications with an aid organization called the Adventist Development and Relief Agency and kind of yeah, spent a fair bit of time working with them in marketing, communications, fundraising, split my time between the classroom and I guess consulting with a whole range of different charitable organizations to help support the great work that they're doing and raise more money so they can keep doing it. So that's what keeps me busy during uh, the week and most of it's spent writing, which I absolutely love. Um, and I guess that was really the thing that got me first involved in politics when I was in grade 11. I was lucky enough to win uh, a writing competition that the, uh, the ABC, so the government broadcaster here in Australia, ran called Haywire. It was a youth writing competition. And young people from all across Australia who won for their regions were brought to Canberra uh, to spend a week together. And we got to meet a whole lot of politicians, talk about our experience as young people in Australia and the visions that we had for Australia. It was a really, really uh, fascinating week to meet a whole range of different young people. But up until that point, you know, we'd learn about politics at school. We'd done the classic Canberra trip at the end of primary school. Um, and I was coming to that age where voting a possibility or in Australia mandatory for me to take part in, but never really engaged. And here I was thrown into the centre of Australian politics, the chance to meet my local member uh, and a whole range of other 
ministers there in Canberra I and mean, have some really meaningful, well, what I felt was meaningful conversations with them. And I guess that started my journey on political engagement. So one, I realized how um, blessed I was to have that opportunity to go. But in the scheme of things, how easy it was. You know, these were people that wanted to have conversations, that had their own stories. And when you when you have a chance, you come to realize that, hey, politics isn't necessarily, there's not a great divide between us, the populace, and the politicians. It's actually fairly simple to engage. It just takes a little bit of effort. So that was my, my start into political engagement. As you got into ADRA in your in your role, I believe that you had a further uh, opportunity with what was then called the MICA Challenge. Yeah, that's right. So MICA Challenge now just called MICA in Australia is, I guess, a coalition of Christian aid organisations and other interested groups that came together to raise their voices for people that were experiencing poverty and injustice around the world. And really, Micah's mandate through the years has been to focus on either the Millennium Development Goals when they were in play or now the Sustainable Development Goals and ensure that the Australian government remained focused and committed to what they'd said they would do under those goals. And particularly with you know our faith as a, as a platform, using that as a point of conversation and using that as a way to build support. So uh, for instance, within ADRA, we would talk to our supporters about the work that Michael was doing, other groups, World Vision, CBM, all those organisations that you may have heard of would be doing the same to build support and bring groups of people to the political sphere and say, look, it's not just us as an AGO organisation that cares, it's all these people. And I guess one of the, the pinnacles of, of the work that Micah did was holding an event called Voices for Justice, which again invited people into Canberra, set up meetings with MPs and ministers to talk about these things and again put faces to these desires and put them back on the agenda, not for the people that were there but for the sake of the people that were doing it really tough right around the world. That's brilliant. And of course, last uh, month in Science April edition, we had a conversation with Tim Costello. Nathan Brown had a, had a conversation. We were able to listen in on that masterclass that they did. I, I don't think a lot of people understand the role that organizations like Micah play in politics to actually advocate for uh, those who can't advocate for themselves. Now, as you've mentioned, Brayden, you have been involved in politics from a, quite an early age, and that's something that not a lot of us have the, the ability to do or Perhaps just we just didn't realize that we could, as as you've as you've mentioned. But how how has politics changed, particularly here in the Pacific, in Australia, New Zealand, from what you've seen from that early age to to where we are today? How has the political landscape changed in in that time, in in your eyes, at least? Yeah, I, well, I I guess the, my first comment would be I think the the thing that's changed the most over that time period is myself and my awareness and understanding of different political parties and processes and, and levels of engagement. And that, I think that's always going to be the case. There can be a lot of change happening outside, but really the best way to understand is by bettering ourselves and improving our own understanding and our engagement. But yeah, when we look at the political landscape in Australia, it's reflective, I think, of what's going on globally and that the, the increasing divide between the left and the right, if we want to use those terms. And unfortunately, that, that then spills over into the conversations and the way these things are spoken about. You know, when there's sound bites on, on television or radio news that are pushing further and further away, that same tone is 
often reflected in the conversations that are had amongst friends around the workplace, around dinner tables, whatever it may be. And so I think that's probably the largest shift, this, this growing divide between opinions and policies. I, I also think that associated with that is that it's it's increasingly difficult for people to engage meaningfully beyond that separation, to find, to see that there is a middle ground, uh, to find a place where there is meaningful conversation rather than heated shouting matches. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't alive back in the, the 60s and 70s and, and certainly not conscious of politics in the 80s. But at least from my perspective, that, that seems to be the change that we've gone through in the last 20 years. Well, I think the middle ground is where we're trying to get to, at least that seems to be part of the theme of your article. You talk about how, you know, when it comes to major people groups, whether it be religious organization, ethnic minorities, things like that, politicians often want to position themselves as I am the best candidate for you and your your people, uh, your tribe, it may not necessarily reflect the reality. But you do mention in your article that beyond just blindly siding with one particular party, there are actually some biblical principles. If we want to engage with politics, certainly when it comes to voting, there are some biblical principles that we can follow if we want to embrace politics through the, the lens of faith. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of those? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess just going back on your comment about the middle ground, I don't think the middle ground is in terms of policy is always the best position to be in, but in the ter- in terms of the way that we talk about it, actually finding commonality and finding a way to converse that isn't shouting. I think there's, there's very legitimate reasons for having policies and practice that don't sit in the middle, but we've got to find a way to talk about them that is constructive and not deconstructive. And I think, you know, the, the way the Bible talks about voting brings us to that point. Yeah, the, the Bible doesn't really give us any any help in terms of which political party or which representative to vote for. It's not a it's not a partisan text. Um, but it does give us some personal approaches to the way that we, we engage with um, politics and the politicians that we, we have around us. And I think the key thing for me and we live in Australia where voting when you're over eighteen is mandatory. But the repeated call of the Bible is the things that you have been given, whether they're money, gifts, talents, the opportunities that you have, take them and use them for good. And I, I think what, one of the struggles we have is sometimes there's a call that as people of faith that engaging politically is not a space that we should step into. But I think of all the many people around the world that don't have that opportunity to speak for the good of themselves and the good of other people and how they'd long for it and how we have a, an opportunity not just to speak up for our own good but for them and so yeah there's plenty of texts you know 1st Peter 4.10 is one example it says the things that you have use them for the good of others and I think that's a, a foundational principle when we're in an election season use the opportunity no donkey votes take the time to be informed because it's a gift that we have been given an opportunity that we have in Australia there's, there's another interesting passage and I, I talk about this I mentioned in the article and Romans 13, which is basically talking about honour and respect, and in particular towards our leaders. Now, it goes down and mentions things like taxes and all kinds of things, but it says, basically saying the people that are in authority, ultimately God is in control. Whether you agree with their political party, their policy, whatever it is, if we believe that God is sovereign, um, he is 
in control. And so the way that we speak, the way that we act should honour that. It should honour the people that are involved and not degrade to the point of name-calling, which is where politics tends to go, particularly now in the last week of an election cycle. There's there's lots of name-calling, there's lots of character assassination, but as people of faith, our engagement shouldn't steep to that level. You know, in, in the way that we engage, those are really practical, foundational approaches. When you were writing this article, you didn't you weren't just satisfied to research the biblical ideas, though they are incredibly important. You actually wanted to reach out to some local candidates in your area. You sent them an email and asked them about why should I vote for you in terms of uh, a person of faith? How did how did that go? Yeah, it was an interesting exercise. So the question that I posed to them was was what do you think Christians should know in the lead up to this election. I wanted to kind of give them a, a, a platform, one, to, to talk on their own policies, which they're always going to do, but hopefully find it, get some insight about their perspective on the, the broader uh, political process, what an election actually means, all those kind of things. That was what I was I was quite interested in. And it was interesting. Some uh, some candidates, so I, I emailed all the candidates for my local electorate along with some bordering electorates just to get a... a quite a broad representation from some independents and some other smaller parties that weren't represented in in my electorate. And the responses I got were right across the spectrum from really short kind of check out my website or thanks for your inquiry automated kind of things through to, you know, multiple pages. I had one independent who wrote, I think I scrolled down two or three screens of my email um, to read through wow. the response, which I appreciated. It reminded me of just how easy it is. Like writing that email didn't take me long. You know, there's a government website where you can find all the candidates in your electorate and their contact details. So it's not a difficult process to go through. And particularly if there is something that you're concerned about, a single you know piece of policy that you're happy or unhappy about, the chance to actually contact them uh, and their assistance directly is is not difficult and can be a really powerful thing. And I guess for me in this electorate, I live in a really safe seat. It's been held by the Labor Party for forever, basically. And so I'm always always interested to see how you can in- engage locally in a safe seat because sometimes if you're interested in local issues, voting against potentially a party that you would prefer simply to make your seat more marginal is approach many, many people take because change, whether it's at a local level or a, a national level, Change can be a really good thing. Um, it's, it helps balance things out. And so as a really safe Labor seat, it's really interesting to see how Liberal, Independents, other candidates actually try and address those local issues. But probably, Jesse, the most interesting response I got um, was from one candidate who was a Christian as well. And and he said to me, I'm actually, I've got it right in front of me. He said to me, um, said, as a committed Christian, I don't want to be in politics for fight to fight for the religious rights of a Christian or oppose what I see as the wrong views of others, but instead having a view of God, his world, and our human significance as it applies to all people. And this particular candidate, I am probably unlikely to vote for his for him and his party, but I that comment really struck a chord because I think that's kind of hit the nail on the head that really politics isn't about protecting your own interest, whether you happen to be a sitting member of parliament or you happen to be a voter like me. It's actually about 
furthering what is best for others and in particularly as people of faith what that means in our view of God creation and what the future of the world and eternity looks like That's so cool. And it's so cool that you're able to share that because I know that I don't think any of the candidates uh, were super happy of you uh, sharing their responses in the article. So I'm glad that we got to peek behind the curtain a little bit there. Um, yeah, I may just make sure he doesn't get a link to this podcast, but I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we haven't named any names here. It's all good. <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. I, I am curious, were there any candidates' responses that did convince you to vote other than you would have voted probably by default? Were there any? No. And I guess the reason is I do spend a, a bit of time actually looking at the policy platforms of the parties they represent and what, what they're talking about locally. And so what they might have said or not said in that moment via email wasn't really going to make a difference. And I think that's a challenge for all of us that if we are simply relying on the things that we're fed, whether it's newspapers, social media, TV, then we're only getting a really limited scope of what these people are actually going to be standing for in the years to come. That is interesting. Now, one of the things you did talk about in your article, and I think this is probably a really good place to spend the rest of our time together, is the idea of policy versus personality. And obviously, it is no secret. All of us kind of know this inherently that politics, which was once a very boring thing about very boring individuals, and you didn't really care that much about who was in office because the issues and the policies, they were all that really mattered. Politics has become a very personality-driven thing, especially when we look at the last presidential elections. It's increasingly become about the individual person on the platform, even more than it maybe perhaps has been about the policies they represent. So, as you're thinking through this idea of, you know, almost an entertainment level of of what politics is now representing, how are you thinking that through and how would you suggest that we think through this? Because that's just our reality right now, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. It is the reality. And I don't think there's anything we can do to change that. What we can change is the way that we approach it. And again, this kind of reflects my comment previously. You try to make it as boring as possible. <laughs> Um, uh, may not make a lot of sense, but if, if you, if you take that personality stuff out of the equation and return to things that matter and really in politics, that's policy, then you can, yeah, avoid voting for a person simply because they, they're shiny on screen. So ch again, checking out their website, their party website, if they're a member of a political party, trying to understand their policies. Of course, there's, there's things that are, are said, uh, and done which help us understand the character of a person. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But if personality is the platform from which he cast our vote, that's, that's a little bit of a problem. So yeah, I would encourage everyone to, to be boring during an election cycle. If you watch the, the nightly news, that's great. Um, but then take what you've heard and go and check it out. Different commentaries. Have a look at the policy platforms that they're presenting and, and go from there. Use that as the platform for casting, um, casting your vote. That's, that's potentially not the fantastic wild response that people might want to hear, but no, there's a lot of wisdom in that. I do appreciate that. 
as we as we come to a close on our conversation, it's just zipped by for me, but I did want to highlight one last little thing. At the very beginning, we talked about Micah and the work that it does. And obviously, um, Tim, Tim Costello obviously talked a lot more about that last podcast. So, if you haven't listened to the last one with Tim, Give that a listen. But one of the, the really key ideas that you highlighted right at the top of this, of this talk, and I think it would be a good thing for us to close with is the idea of voting as advocacy, voting for uh, a candidate or for a set of um, policies or for a party based not just on your own interests. Now, that might be a challenging thought for most people, but as Christians, it seems like we have, at least from the scriptures, a mandate for this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what what that involves? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how do we disconnect ourselves, particularly when it involves our hip pocket, typically, from what's good for us versus what's good for, for everyone else? And you're right, the Bible consistently has a message of looking to others before yourself. And if you want to, if people want to go and read one thing before they vote this weekend, Philippians chapter two, verses three and four would be worth a little moment of reflection because the key idea is don't look at your own interest. Don't look at what's good for you. Look at others. All these things that God has given you, they're there for service. They're there to stand up for people that can't stand for themselves or speak for themselves. And so when we come to cast our vote, and I have this vision of standing in, in the electoral line, if you go and line up on the day, or if you're doing a, a pre-poll waiting you know, this coming week, or you put your postal vote in, whatever it is, standing there or sitting there and imagining yourself in the shoes of someone else, whether it be you know the single mum down the street, the retiree across the road, the refugee that's just arrived in Australia, but even beyond our own shores, the people of the Pacific and other places that are dealing with a changing world. People in places like Yemen or wherever it may be that are struggling just to have enough food to survive. What impact does the one, two, three, four, five, six that I put on this card have on them? What impact does it have on the ability for people who think differently to me to live in a way and have the rights to speak up in a way that may be different to mine? These are all questions that the Bible suggests we should think about. It's not going to say vote this way or vote that way, but make sure you're thinking about these things when you do vote. That's powerful. And I think I think that's if there's anything that undecided voters need to to hear to be able to push through to make that decision, I think that's that's the word to to help us make that choice. What is ultimately going to positively affect change? For people who who have the least, who don't have power, who don't have a voice, how can we be instruments of, of positive change in, in other people's lives? And even though, you know, it is tempting to be cynical about the political system, we do have a, a voice here. We do have an ability to change, to, to make change. So, Brayden, thank you for uh, chatting with us today. Thank you for writing the article. If you do want to go and read it, it is in the May issue of Science of the Times magazine, and you can can get that at signsofthetimes.org.au. Brayden, thank you for uh, spending this time with us today. Thank you for having me, Jesse. It's been a great conversation. This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. 
A print subscription is $28 a year or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au.